Hey, welcome to a new episode of the Sunday Sauce. I'm here with a very interesting man who owns Prairie Street Meats. Uh, it's a kosher meat company. This is Elliot Moskowitz. Elliot, welcome to the Sunday Sauce. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. A pleasure to be here. So um, how did you, uh, what, where did you start in life? What made you open up uh, a kosher meat company? Obviously, you're, you're, you're a Jewish man, but besides that, what made you start uh, a meat company? So the story was most of my career, I worked on Wall Street and I traveled a lot, but my wife had worked for the United Nations and we were transferred to Brussels because she was working on the Syrian refugee crisis. And in Brussels, it was difficult to find good quality kosher meat. So I made a cooperative and we bought from France every month, a bunch of families would get together and we pool an order. And when I came back, I started thinking about this concept and wondering what is the whole direct to consumer angle in groceries in general, for sure meat and kosher meat. And I discovered that it wasn't really a big thing in the kosher world. It was becoming something in the non-kosher world. And then COVID accelerated all these processes. And by that, I mean, is that People weren't going to stores. So if you look uh, statistically, two years ago, less than 20% of people bought their groceries online. Post-pandemic, that number is like in the 80s. So the people have gotten over that concept and more of they gotten over, they realize the convenience and if they could get consistent quality with just pressing a button, um, that's an amazing thing. And that's what we've done. Interesting. So... You're uh, you're a native New Yorker, and then you moved to Brussels. Is that what I'm hearing? I'm actually from Chicago, okay. and um, then I moved to New York. I used to trade in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I worked for them, and then I was moved by a French bank to New York, and I've lived here the last 20 years. But the interesting thing also is that Jews or Orthodox Jews that keep kosher are densely populated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're New York, Florida, Chicago, L.A., because they need to be walking distance to the synagogues and those things. But what about the 45 other cities that people don't have enough critical mass that someone would order open a butcher store or some some high-end there, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Arizona, Vegas, those kind of things. So now with the fact that we're under the USDA, we're under the federal government, enables us to ship interstate and we could do last mile delivery anywhere you are. We could ship to your ski resort. We could ship to your beach house. We could Mm. ship wherever you are were there so you you said you did a cooperative in brussels um prairie street that didn't come that wasn't really formed yet back when you got back to the states that was formed right correct i had no intention i was actually supposed to go back to wall street um when i came back from brussels and then i started to just pay attention as someone that's kind of been a former macro trader and just looks at big elements. And I was just very curious why the kosher world wasn't paying attention to what I was thinking was gonna be revolutionary that people will end up ordering. You know, even meat is a, it's a very difficult thing to get at the highest quality. So people go, well, I know the butcher and he puts this aside for me. 
and I smoke, I cook a lot, I do a lot of things like that. And that inconsistency of quality, even in New York, can be very problematic. And that's only accelerated with COVID, with inflation, with supply chain, and with all these other things. It's made it very challenging for us, but we've also positioned ourselves to work around those challenges. So where do you, where do your cows, where do they hang out? Where do you get your beef from? So we only, that took me about two years. I've been working on this for three years. Mm-hmm. And the last six months is when everything has really started to happen. We're scaling it. The infrastructure is so complex, um, not to the user, but to us. And in some ways, it's even more complicated than when they used to trade billions of dollars on Wall Street. So we set up that infrastructure. Now we're scaling that. And and now we're going to just blow this up across the board. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, where is your company based out of currently? So we're based in the U.S., but going back to your previous point, the Um, We only source from the highest quality sources. So a lot of meat coming into the country is from Mexico, from Uruguay, uh, from Canada. It's pretty good, but we only source the finest sources within the U.S. So I go to different places. They're more boutique than big uh, because we know the quality and consistent quality. And we know where the best sources for lamb or veal or beef or specific kinds of beef. I even went to see some ranches out west for potentially starting kosher Wagyu. So those things, that quality aspect in kosher, just to give you a statistic. So the non-kosher world is more than a hundred billion dollar a year market for meat. And the kosher world is probably a billion to two. And so at that level, you can't, in my opinion, and this was our strategic decision, you can't be in the volume, good quality business and the luxury highest quality. You have to pick your lane. And we've picked our lane and we're the only player that's only focused on luxury kosher meat of the highest quality. But is the end game maybe get your own uh, cattle farm, I guess it's called, or whatever, and start just maybe having your own cows and just making your having your own beef? Or are you just going to keep looking for, you know, boutique places, just picking and traveling around? Because that seems kind of expensive and costly than having your own place, right? So there's different things. People uh, think that when you have kosher, that you have a kosher farm or a kosher ranch. And really that's not the case. Right. All, any cattle that is eligible, and you know, there's only certain types of animals that are eligible to be kosher, okay? Cattle is one of them. Pork Mm -hmm. is never one of them. Lamb is one of them, those kind of things. So once you have that structure, it's more about what's the environment of the cattle or the ranch that's being raised. So I went to a ranch in Wyoming and they had, it was pristine. It was 600 acres for not that many cattle. It wasn't a feedlot, it wasn't that. So the environment is really what controls the quality of the product and how they're raised and what they're fed. Once until slaughter, you don't know if the animal is going to be kosher. And the main determining factor is the health of the lungs. And that's why people perceive 
that kosher is a higher quality, it's a cleaner product, because if there are lesions or imperfections, then the cattle is not deemed kosher, we can't use it, and we have to sell it to non-kosher providers to use instead. Mm. Right, I was just under the assumption that a, a rabbi just comes in and, you know, blesses the, the, the meat, and that, that automatically makes it kosher. That was just my... Uh... Uh, so the rabbis are actually... Um, so there's two, we're regulated by two entities. Mm -hmm. One is the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, and the FSIS, the regulatory arm, and the STAR-K, which is one of the preeminent uh, kosher certifiers. In the case of wine, observation or milk might be good enough. In the case of meat, um, they're actually doing the slaughter process. They're trained for two years. They're knives. There's all kinds of Torah and education about how sharp the knives and other things have to be to make it a very fast, painless experience. Wow. So the rabbis aren't just blessing. They are the ones uh, taking care of that. And that whole infrastructure from beginning to packaging to processing and delivery is all overseen by our regulator in kosher, the Starkey. Wow, that's uh, more than I ever knew about kosher meat. I mean, I knew like it didn't taste any kind of different or anything. I just knew there was a process of, you know, overseeing it. So that's, that's, that's pretty, uh, I guess, I'm, and then I guess halal meat must be the same kind of process as well then, if so I'm thinking about it's, it now. It's very interesting, halal. So I spoke to um, the head of the central bank, uh, Bahrain. I was at an investment conference last summer. And in general, people that observe halal will eat kosher meat, hmm. um, but that does not work in the reverse. Um, people that eat kosher will not eat halal meat because of some of the, the process, but they do recognize our process. Um, that could be a potential target market for us, but it isn't at this time because right now we're concentrated on the supply of the natural audience for us and to go against the big boys and the muslim community is much bigger than the jewish community um doesn't really fit into our business plan at this time but that could be something that we're going to expand in the near future right so um now you're just doing home deliveries, right? With your meat at this time, like you're not in any supermarkets or anything like that? So we have two businesses. We have a B2B business and a B2C business. Okay. Okay. So the direct to consumer business, we do not sell to restaurants. We do okay. not sell to resale stores. Um, and the only way you could get this product is direct from us. But we think that's a positive thing because we control the quality. You know, we cut, we process the next morning. It's in 20 below zero freezers and it stays that way. And we spent a fortune of time and money on our packaging so that it stays that. So in effect, it's really one of the freshest meats you could get because it's instantly processed and then flash frozen. And that really ensures well, versus a store where you might have product that's put out for a few days, they don't sell it, they bring it back in, they freeze it, they bring it back out. It's a different thing. So we don't work with any stores, the only way to get that. But the B2B has become a dominant part of our business. And that kind of relates to COVID. And then the sense that 
this has happened in the past, but it's really accelerated in the last year and a half, that wealthy people will have private chefs come to their house and they go on vacation and they rent a ski villa or something like that. And they bring private chefs to do that. This isn't for 100 people, it's for 10, 20, 30 people. And we're now speaking to all those chefs and working with them closely. We're even doing custom products that aren't available to the general public. And for instance, last week, we had a client that had 15 people at the Waldorf in Park City, Utah. They hired a chef and we sent five boxes of meat to them and they had never seen anything like that in their life. So uh, that's a very big part of our business. That's why South Florida, is also very important to us because the wealth down there is enormous. The meat quality is not great. Um, and the vacationing Florida chefs, private chef market is really the central of that is South Florida. From there, we'll expand to Tri-State, to LA, to the other areas. And then we're also working on export license so we could ship to the Caribbean and Mexico popular destination sites. And what happens is these clients, after they attend one of these events, they also become clients of ours because they have private chefs in their homes every week. And they say, once they've tasted this, they're never going back. Wow. So yeah, um, I mean, so I guess COVID kind of was a positive thing for you because, uh, you know, Florida was pretty much open this whole time. And uh, there's a lot, of, there's a big, big Jewish population in Southern Florida and uh, they could just, what, get your meat within three days and there you go. You have nice, fresh kosher steaks down there and the word spreads around and there you go. Boom, a brand new market in Florida. Correct, but there's been downsides as well to put it in context. So one of the things that's very popular, I live on Long Island in a nice Jewish community is normally before COVID on the Shabbat from Friday night to Saturday night where people aren't driving, they're not using electronics. And I have to tell you of dealing with technology 100 hours a week, it's kind of nice to turn off the phone for a period of time and let my brain rest. But people would entertain, you'd invite, you'd invite a few families for Shabbat lunch or Shabbat dinner and doing that. And that pretty much crawled to a halt during COVID. So I think as hopefully we're getting out of this now, that will come back. For sure, The um, I think the meat industry was on the forefront of bearing the brunt of COVID in the beginning, not necessarily in our facilities that are more smaller, but the big players that have a thousand people at a plant and there was no masks and there was no protection. Uh, it has been a very difficult time. And then now with getting truck drivers or just people working or coming or the cost of inflation and food, so there's been many, many challenges. It's not necessarily a great thing. Uh, I mean, I never look for bad things to happen, even if they're good for us. But clearly what COVID demonstrated is how do people optimize their time? People work from remote locations. So we're perfectly situated to deliver anywhere in the country. So if part of the year you're working in Florida or you take an Airbnb in Colorado for a month because you're a software engineer for Google, doesn't matter where you are, then we're positioned to follow you wherever you are. And, and the next step that really comes and it's kind of relevant for even Valentine's Day is gifting is gonna be a very big aspect of our business as well because what do you get 
the wealthy kosher person that has everything, the best kosher meat on the planet. And that's something uh, significant. So we're gearing up for that as well. I would, if I was, um, I mean, Jewish or not, I would love a nice porterhouse steak for Valentine's Day. That would be amazing. I don't care if it's kosher or not. That actually well, sounds Well, really, let me really tell good. you, I'm going to disappoint you and I could help you. So <laughs> another interesting fun fact, uh, and the kosher world is complicated, is except for Israel and some of the Svartic uh, European community, in general, most people don't eat from the hindquarter of a cattle. Oh, so man. that is also sold. So even when our cattle is kosher, we sell the hindquarter, which includes porterhouse steak, filet mignon, um, so strip steak, those we don't sell. And it has to do with the veins and arteries. It's too complicated to clean out. And, and that's a big prerequisite. So on the front side, we have super high quality, but except for the Svardim in very limited conditions, I can't give you under the star K a kosher porterhouse steak, but I'm glad to send you a tomahawk that uh, you'll- Tomahawk, tomahawk's fine with me. Is that what? What would you say your best cut is at Prime, at at Prairie, the Prairie uh, Prime? I, I, yeah. What would what would you say at um your best cut is at Prairie Street Prime? So I would say the signature things, anything rib related. So three, four, five bone in prime rib, or steaks, or tomahawks, or cowboy steaks, anything rib related, we we have the best. That's the thing. Um, lamb. Our lamb, I know this for a fact, whether it's kosher or not, because I was involved in a family office investment conference this summer, and we served to like 100 billionaires and centimillionaires, our lamb chops, and without a doubt, I hear this every day, kosher or not, we have the best lamb chops in the country. And so that's definitely a signature dish. The chefs always are buying lamb racks or, uh, you know, it depends how you're making them. So professional chefs, they like the appearance of lamb racks. They're beautiful chimichurri sauce. Personally, if I'm smoking or grilling for my son that loves lamb chops, I'm doing single cuts because you have that nice meat on the bone and it's just amazing and perfect. So lamb, veal, and soon we'll be embarking on some high-end fish um, and chicken as well to add for the chefs that they could have one-stop shopping for everything they need. Do you ever get sick of eating steak? So the interesting thing is, um, and I barely eat. I become a food snob. That for me, it's more the taste than the quantity. I mean, I tell you know, I do the smoking. I go to a restaurant, and I'll say, "That's uh, not really that cut." I can't say anything to them, but I know the difference. And so for me. It's getting it right. I don't know if you've had a chance, Mike, to look at our YouTube channel, um, youtube.com backslash Prairie Street Prime, but that's something that we were working on that's very not typical in this industry. In fact, no one is doing this in kosher. And that is to make a serious commitment and an investment in original content that gives us nothing financially. Right. So, on our channel, we've posted 40 videos. I've directed all those videos. I decide what we're making, how we're making it. Um, and in today's culture and with the millennials and younger generation, it's not traditional cooking has really 
changed. It's not just cast iron pan and put it in the oven or throw it on the grill. There's so much technology, you know, precision ovens, sous vide, smokers, air fryers, instant pot, whatever way you want to play, we're there for you. So instead of having a channel that just has one chef, we have guest chefs, we have different styles, different methods, um, and we're there to empower you because what happens is someone might buy an expensive prime rib, but then they're intimidated of how to make it. They're not sure what to do. And this kind of ties into Valentine's Day as well. So we're, we have professional chefs. I have an in-house production team. So who has a meat company and spends serious six figures on media production? We do, because in the long run, we're disrupting the kosher market, not only on the e-commerce platform for luxury meat and uh, fish or chicken, it's also for original content. And anybody that's in original content is a player and we want to control our own messaging and give you tips and content and engage and build a community off that. And those are really the triad, the three things I'm trying to accomplish with this is not just a transactional business, it's to build a community, it's to inform people and to educate people. Most of our guest chefs aren't even Jewish. So they're showing you methods that people might not even know in traditional Jewish cooking, but still abiding by Jewish law. For example, you're not allowed to cook milk and meat together, right? So classic French cuisine is cooking with butter and basting it all the time, right? So we've done videos with vegan butter, earth balance. We're now gonna have lamb fat that could be melted down. It gives amazing flavor. So we do workarounds, we figure solutions and we're uh, bring other chefs in that will get people creatively. So we'd love to see this channel grow. We think it will grow. We have a consistent audience. We're not focused on the numbers. And starting next month, our videos will also be translated into Hebrew and French to really bring a global audience together, even if they're not transacting. That's, um, that's actually a really good idea. I, I never heard of a beef company even thinking about making a YouTube and doing uh, custom cooking videos that's that's actually very very original idea so i think there's a there's a space for knowledge and education and content and we're looking you know our our tagline is your kosher luxury meat experience, but we're really emphasizing the word experience. We want you to be comfortable. We want you to be able to reach out. We're going to have contests. We're going to introduce products that people haven't even seen before, USDA Prime, Dry Age, that kind of thing. We keep on going up the ladder as far as quality product development, but we have a very strong commitment to build this content arm of our company, Prairie Street Prime Media, and to give value to clients, whether they're actually transacting with us or not. And we feel in the long run, that will be good for the brand. It will be good in having satisfied customers. And this is one of those products that once you found the good vendor, you're not switching vendors really because it's just too specific. It's too narrow. There are so few players that are playing at this level that we believe that if we do everything right, we're gonna get a lot of repeat orders. And that's already started to show. Well, let me tell you, Elliot, talking to you, I mean, you sound like you have original ideas and um, 
you know, I think I'm going to have to have you back on again, maybe in the next couple of months to see where you're at, because it sounds like you're going to really take off with this content and your company. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and being so generous with your time. Uh, where can we go and find your YouTube channel? I know you said it, but again, and also your um, meet website. Sure. So the website is www.prairiestreetprime.com, P-R-A-I-R-I-E-S-T-R-E-E-T-P-R-I-M-E.com. And the YouTube channel is youtube.com backslash prairiestreetprime as well. Every Sunday at 2 p.m., we have a consistent schedule. We publish new videos. So please join. We have already 40 videos posted. I think they're super high quality. I'm biased, but we're always working on new ideas. We're looking to do destination videos now, maybe in Miami. We're going to do our own version of a competition or chopped or people playing against each other. So we're looking to engage people and find out what they're interested in as well. And we'd love to have you on board. It was great to be here. And I'd love to come back anytime you want me. Absolutely. Elliot, thank you for your time. Thank you. And have a great day. You too. Thank you.